as John mentioned in his, in his kind introduction, uh, Valerie and I are no strangers to North Ten Mile Baptist. North Ten Mile called me to be her youth pastor back in 2001, like a lifetime ago. Uh, for, for some, like my youngest here, that was a lifetime ago, and then some. But it is so good to be back here with you all today to see old friendly faces and to see some new ones that I'm hoping that I can become acquainted with. But that's enough about me because that's not why we're here. We're here for the word, the living word of God, Jesus Christ, written word of God given through his prophets and apostles. I turn you today to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be at verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving, against sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank you for the faithful word which was given to us through the apostles and prophets that you chose. We pray that this word today will be explained and applied to each one of our lives by your spirit who is our teacher. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. You'll find out I like to pick it apart. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to pick these verses apart and we're going to try to make sure that we understand them in their proper context, understand them the right way. Here the apostle is speaking of a great cloud of witnesses, but more on that in a moment. This verse begins with a therefore. Have you ever been taught that when you read God's word and you see a therefore, what do you need to do? You need to find out what it's there for. And, and that is the case with this section of scripture. We have a therefore that we begin. Therefore, we also well, we got to go back and find out what the therefore is there for. What is the context? The apostle in Hebrews chapter 11, probably the most well-known chapter in all of Hebrews, has been talking about luminaries, exemplaries of faith and faithful obedience to Jesus Christ. If, if you turned back into Hebrews chapter 11, you would see many different people from many different eras of time that are mentioned beginning with Abel, progressing through Enoch and Noah, and then on forward through the promises that were made to Abraham, reiterated to Isaac, re-reiterated to Jacob. And the list goes on and on. These are examples of people who in varying, varying circumstances, varying challenges, nonetheless maintained an active living faith in God and his promises. 
The apostle has laid these men and women out as examples for his readers that he's writing to in this letter. Who are the readers? Who is he writing to? He's writing to Jewish believers. He's writing somewhere around the year 62 or 63 A.D., Oh, roughly 35 to 40 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Now, some of these Hebrew Christians have already suffered hardship for their faith in Jesus Christ. Some have already experienced that. But the apostle has been writing to them here in the letter to the Hebrews that there is more to come. More hardship coming their way. More difficulty, persecution, and trials. And he's looking at his readers and he is saying, what I don't want to happen to you is I don't want you to fall away. I don't want you to desert the Lord Jesus Christ and your faith in him because it may be tempting for some of you to do that. Some of you may be tempted As the persecution increases, you may be tempted to go back to the temple. When in Christ, we are the temple. You may be tempted to go back to the old covenant priesthood. When Christ himself is our high priest, eternal in the heavens. His covenant and his ministry will have no end. You may be tempted to go back to the animal sacrifices when Christ has in reality through the sacrificing of his own body and blood has perfectly fulfilled the atonement that was required to bring you to God of which all of the animal sacrifices of the temple in Jerusalem were but mere shadows. Pictures that could never save, that could never fully atone. The apostle is saying you may be tempted to fall away from Christ because the persecution is about to rise. Such was the situation of the audience to whom he wrote. In fact, within just a year to a year and a half of the writing of this book, the great persecution, the great time of tribulation would be initiated by the Roman Emperor Nero and it would be joined in wholesale by Jews across the empire who had rejected Jesus as Messiah and who would begin with great fervor to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. That is what was in their future. That's what was awaiting them. And the apostle recognizes the dire need of these people to remain faithful to Jesus Christ, to not depart from the faith, to not fall away. And so, Hebrews chapter 11, to bolster their faith, he lays out for them a litany of examples. Men and women who, despite the challenging circumstances of their times, nonetheless maintained an active, living, obedient faith in God. And that is what the apostle is calling these readers to. And I would say by extension, that's what he's calling you and me to as well. Obedient faith to the living God through Jesus Christ. So that's what the therefore is there for. He says, therefore we also, just like they had to run their race of faithful obedience to God, so too we have a race to run. We have a race of faithful obedience 
to the one who laid down his life for us and took it up again and ever lives for us. Therefore, we also. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the apostle here, in using the word cloud, he's using an expression that was not unfamiliar to some other significant ancient sources, such as the Greek poet Homer, who used the picture of a cloud to refer to a large crowd of people. We know what clouds in the sky and the atmosphere are. They are collections of innumerable dust particles and molecules of water vapor, correct? But we don't see them that way. We don't see the individual particles. We see a cloud. And here the apostle is pointing to the previous chapter in which he laid out some notable examples of faithful obedience. But now here he paints the picture bigger and says there's an innumerable cloud of examples that we could draw from. And there are many stories that haven't even been spoken, names that haven't been mentioned. But there is a great crowd of witnesses who bear testimony both to the faithfulness of God and the fruits of faithful obedience to God. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. I want you to imagine for a moment. It's the Olympic Games and you are a runner. And you step out onto the track in the stadium. You prepare to take your place in your lane. You're getting ready to settle down in the blocks. And you look up. And you see the crowd, and that crowd begins to stand on its feet one by one, anticipating the start of the race. And now you're looking closer, and you realize, that's Jesse Owens, the great Olympic runner. That's Carl Lewis. That's Michael Johnson, Usain Bolt, Roger Bannister, Steve Prefontaine, Eric Little, Florence Griffith, Griffith Joyner. All of these great runners throughout the ages of the sport are assembled there in this arena to watch the race that is about to be run. This great cloud of witnesses. Take it in for a second. Imagine, imagine the gravity of that situation as you prepare to run your race of faith and faithfulness to God. And that's the picture that the apostle is painting here through a sports analogy. You are in the presence of a great cloud of witnesses that has been assembled as you prepare to run your race. Now run it in a worthy way. Run it in a faithful way. We're going to see what that looks like now. Because we are in the presence of this great cloud of witnesses, the apostle says, let us lay aside every weight... This word weight, it means anything that is crooked or hooked so that you could hang it up and it could hang suspended by its own weight. Picture an umbrella with a curved handle that you could hang on a peg. And now it's hanging by its weight. Okay, that's that's what the word literally means. And the picture is just anything that is hanging on to you as a weight that could slow you down. Athletes may tell you that it could be beneficial to train with weights. Some of them train even running with weights on their body. But do they wear them when they prepare to run that race? When they take their position in those starting blocks, do they have weights hanging on them now? No, it's time to run. It's time for a race. And that's what the apostle is saying here to these Jewish Christians. He's saying the time has come. It's time to finish this race. It's a sprint to the finish line for you. Don't let any weight be hanging on you. What does that mean for us? 
I think we can say that the apostle is saying we need to remove any encumbrances that would prevent us from attaining the reward. And I'll tell you, this may look different for some of you than it looks for me. It may look different for you than it looks for others. Uh, for, for others, it may be a matter of pride or vanity, chasing after things that ultimately are meaningless. It, it might be a matter of worldliness, being too attached to the pleasures and riches of a world that, frankly, is passing. And you don't get to travel very long in it in the big scheme of things. Why would you let that hold you back? It may be, for some of you, it may be a violent temper or corrupt thinking. It may be a hard heart that is hard to hearing the word of God or is hard to extending grace and forgiveness to those who need to receive that from you. It may be improper or unholy attachments that you have. And now the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, son, daughter, I've borne with this a long time. It is now time for you to lay aside that weight. You have a race to run. Will you get serious about it? Moving on, he mentions the sin which so easily ensnares us. Uh, the picture here, the word literally means that which is standing well near, right at hand. And, and the picture is something that is right there, waiting in the wings. And he says it's the sin which so easily ensnares us. I think a good, again, sports analogy picture is how those runners of the ancient games, common everyday attire was a long flowing robe or garment. But when it was time to run, that came off. You wanted nothing that could trip you up. The Apostle Paul here says that there are sins that are standing well near to you and to me, to which each one of us, by exposure or disposition, are susceptible to. They can trip us up. Don't let anything trip you up in running your race of faith and faithful obedience to God. Again, this may look different for others than it does for you. It may be some particular sin that by natural temperament or disposition, you are naturally drawn to, and it's standing near at hand, waiting in the wings. It may be sins in which you once freely indulged before you came to Christ, and now because of that previous experience, it presents a significant challenge and threat to you in running your race. It may be sins which you are exposed to by your profession, your line of work. It may be sins that you're exposed to by the people that you're related to or that you call friends. The apostle here wouldn't, wouldn't have you disassociate yourself from family and friends. He would have you be a witness to them and love them in grace and truth. But nonetheless, you need to be aware that there may be some sin standing well nigh near at hand, waiting in the wings that could trip you up. It may be even some special weakness in character. And if you think that you don't have it, I would challenge you to take a closer look because it's there. You'll find it. And it's no fun to look in that spiritual mirror. By the way, that spiritual mirror is this book I'm holding. It'll point it out to you. But there may be some special weakness, some unique weakness in your character or mine. 
that makes us, that renders us susceptible to that sin which is standing right there at hand, ready to trip us up. Don't be the ostrich that buries its head in the sand and ignores it. Do like the Apostle Paul encouraged the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he gave them instruction concerning the Lord's Supper and he said, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. Take that good, hard look at yourself in the reflection of the mirror of God's holy word. Become familiar with the areas in which you are prone to susceptibility to being tripped up. Taken all together, this instruction of dressing for success, if you will, for these Hebrew Christians in that first century, dressing for success by laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, entangles us, trips, trips us up. Taken all together, it is to lay aside every encumbrance, especially the sins to which we are most exposed or predisposed. And before we move on to my next point, one parting thought here. Do not, do not for a moment deceive yourself into thinking it's just a little sin. Looking at that person, for those over there and the, and the heinous sins that they may have been committing or are committing in their life, um, don't think for a moment, it's just a little sin. I can carry this. No, lay it aside, even if it's a little thing. Consider this. How effective would that Olympic sprinter be running that race with two large, fluffy, lightweight pillows under each arm? Not effective at all. But they're light. It's not a big, serious, heavy thing of any real gravity. No, lay it aside. Let go of that. You have a race to run. Don't run it with pillows under your arms. Don't run it with anything other than a focus on the one who perfectly ran the race already. And that brings us to the next point. The apostle would have his readers and would have us as well to not only dress for success in running this race, but also to follow the leader. Let's look at that. Chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. Now, I, I don't know what translation of the scriptures you may be using here today. I happen to be preaching from the New King James today. It's, it's what I'm familiar with and it's what I brought with me. And there are many other fine translations. I'm not worried about which translation, but I do want to point out one word. Because it appears in my New King James, and I want to highlight it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, and it says, of our faith. Now, perhaps if you're using a translation similar to mine, you'll see that word our, O-U-R, and you'll see that it is italicized. That means that it is a supplied word. It's a word not found in the original text, but the translators have supplied it in an attempt to give clearer meaning or understanding to the text. And I would, uh, I would relieve any of your fears that Almost every time we read the scriptures, those italicized words are wonderful supplements that really help carry the sense of the text across to us in English. And I think that this may be one notable exception, in my opinion. I believe that the better reading would be looking unto 
Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. I think we can leave that word out of there and I think it, it ties in much better with the picture that the apostle is going for here. And I think you'll see it in just a moment. How is Jesus the author and finisher of faith? Uh, the word author, it means the originator. Sometimes it transla- it's translated the captain, the prince, the leader. The author, the beginner of faith. He's also the finisher, the completer. Here's the complementary word for, for author. He's the finisher of faith. The idea that the apostle is communicating to us in this passage is this. Jesus is the first and the final word. He's the first and the last word when it comes to talking about faith, faithful obedience, and endurance. Let's take a look at that idea. You've read through Hebrews 11 numerous times, no doubt. And you've seen all of those wonderful examples of faith and faithful obedience that are contained therein. Did it ever dawn on you that there was one glaring absence in that chapter? There was one name that was not mentioned that should have been mentioned, and he isn't there. January 22nd, 1989, Super Bowl 23. The San Francisco 49ers are playing for their third title against the Cincinnati Bengals. Both teams had high-powered offenses. Despite that, at halftime, the score was 3-3. Going into the fourth quarter, it was 6-6. And then something happened. A Cincinnati kick returner returned a kick all the way back, 93 yards for a touchdown, blowing the game open. San Francisco responded with a touchdown, tying the game. But with just a little over three minutes left on the clock, Cincinnati drove the field, kicked a field goal. As defensive as the game had been, this seemed to put San Francisco in a real tight spot. Well, it would have been had they not had that clutch quarterback that some of you remember, Ringgold High School graduate Joe Montana. As Montana set his huddle, on his own eight-yard line with 92 yards to travel and little over three minutes to do it. He calmed his nervous teammates by looking at the far end zone and saying, isn't that John Candy? John Candy, the Hollywood comedic actor. Isn't that John Candy? All of their attention was focused at the far end zone and the trick worked. It calmed their nerves And the rest is history. They marched the length of the field with Montana hitting John Taylor on a slant route for one of the most spectacular and famous catches in Super Bowl history. San Francisco Francisco went on to win that game. Football. But the Apostle Paul is doing a similar thing that Joe Montana did in that huddle. He's focusing our attention on one point. Looking unto Jesus, the first and final word regarding faith, faithful obedience, and endurance. It's as if he were saying, I just told you about the rest in chapter 11. Now I'm going to tell you about the best. Your heads were probably swimming when I didn't mention Jesus Christ a chapter ago. But now... I'm ready to talk about the one who is the first and final word in the matter when it comes to faith and faithful obedience. 
The one who overwhelmingly excelled in every contest, who took home every laurel, every trophy, who will never be equaled, much less surpassed, beyond comparison. When I was a kid, if you said that someone was the goat, that was not a good thing. If, if someone was the goat, that meant they fumbled the ball on the goal line. Or worse yet, they picked up a fumble and ran it the wrong way for a score for the other team. If someone was the goat, that meant that they struck out without swinging in the bottom of the ninth. And the game was lost. If you ever experienced that, I'm sorry. Being a goat wasn't a good thing. Today, the, the young people say it's a good thing to be the GOAT. Did you know that? To be the GOAT is a good thing. It's an acronym. G-O-A-T. It stands for greatest of all time. Being a GOAT in the world of sports is a good thing nowadays. You're the greatest of all time. Well, to use the modern vernacular, Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time, the greatest who ever competed on that field of faith and faithful obedience. He is our example. He will never be equaled, never excelled, never surpassed. And if you're going to run this race, fix your eyes on a point. Know where you're going and focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example for faithful obedience. He is our example for endurance through hardship and testing and trial in life just as he was for these first century Jewish Christians so long ago. Very quickly moving on looking at this worthy worthiest of worthy examples Jesus Christ. It says who for the joy that was set before him. I have to pick that apart. What joy? What joy is there in a cross? What joy is there in pain? What joy is there in hardship? The world might look at Jesus and say, what joy is there in failure by their estimation? But we know what Christ accomplished through his cross. He accomplished redemption, reclamation, restoration, a new creation. Jesus did not fail. For the joy set before him. I submit to you today that the joy that was set before the Lord Jesus. The joy that he carried in his breast when he left heaven's throne room. To take up lodging for the night in a manger. The joy that was set before him was the honor at the exalted position that he would have seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. It was the happiness that he would know, experiencing having done the will of his Father, fulfilling it to the uttermost, saving us to the uttermost, redeeming a world to the uttermost. I submit that that was the joy that was set before him. Who for the joy that was set before him Endured the cross, despising the shame. Yes, the cross was something to be endured for long hours or days. The most brutal 
cruel, and humiliating form of punishment by execution that had been devised by mankind. He endured that cross. Why did he endure? For the joy that was set before him. Jesus Christ had his eyes on the prize. I hope I didn't miss my train. (laughs) My train of thought just left the station. Um, Jesus Christ kept his eyes on the prize. And so should we. Focus your attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. Pay attention to Hebrews chapter 11 and all of those saints who faithfully endured and obeyed. But focus your gaze upon Jesus Christ who kept his eyes on the prize for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Despising the shame. I have to pick that apart. What's it mean? It means he disregarded it. He counted it as nothing by comparison to the glory that awaited. So it is for me and you. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul references the pain, the affliction, the tribulations that he had encountered. And he calls it a light thing. I suppose it's a light thing to have a city of people pick up rocks And throw them at you until you lie left for dead. That's a light thing. Paul said it was in comparison to the glory that awaited. In Romans chapter 8, he refers to the sufferings of the present age in which he lived. And he said, I don't count it as even worthy of being compared with the glory that awaits us. And so it is for you and me. We, like Jesus, should disregard, discount the sufferings the humiliation, whatever it may be, whatever form it may take. Look unto Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised and disregarded the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our focal point. He is our example. Would we know what faith, faithful obedience, And faithful endurance looks like. You know, it's going to play out differently in your life than it will in mine, most likely. It will play out differently in our lives than it played out in many other Christians who lived in different eras before us. And it is very likely that those Christians who come after us will face other challenges that we know nothing about. But the example and the model of faithfulness, faithful obedience, and endurance remains the same. Jesus Christ Yesterday, today, and forever. He is our Savior and example. Let us pray. Our Father, we give thanks to you that we can look in the writings of the apostles and we can see these notable examples set forth to encourage us during the trials and difficulties that we face in our circumstances of life of what it means to faithfully follow you, to faithfully take you at your word, to faithfully obey, to faithfully endure. But here in this chapter, Father, we give greatest honor and thanksgiving for that greatest example of all, the one who is the first and final word on the subject, Father, when it comes to the discussion of faith, Jesus Christ, who surpassed all 
There is none that will be his equal. He is indeed the greatest of all time. By your spirit, Father, and by the the washing of your word in our lives, keep our gaze focused upon him, the one who faithfully endured and now has attained the glory at your right hand from where he nourishes the church, which is his body. Let us run this race, Father, with the endurance that we need through your grace and the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.